Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Good evening, Charles. So, Joe, I know that coming into the season, we said a lot of things. Camp tells you very little. Only a fool makes season-long predictions at the start of the season. And if by magic... I just want to introduce you to our passing yard leaders so far this season, which is number one, Tua at 739 yards, number two, Carson Wentz at 650 yards, and number three, <laughs> Joe Flacco at 616 yards, just as we all predicted, right? What Joe Flacco's, that's, you know, Super Bowl winning Joe Flacco. What was you expecting? <laughs> Carson Wentz, who <laughs> carried the Eagles through the regular season to Super Bowl 52. Uh, to uh, who was great at Bama. Yeah, this is definitely no shock here. Two games in, Charles. Two games in. And I mean, there's been some freak games. And the Washington Commanders, I nearly called them something else then. I think they're going to be in lots of shootouts or lots of chasing games. Yeah, but, you know... Wiki, wiki, wild, wild west, two games in. Well, why don't we start off by talking about uh, one of the games in which one of those quarterbacks was present. Let's talk about the Dolphins versus the Ravens, because that was looking very pedestrian for certainly large parts of the game. And then suddenly it got flipped, turned upside down. So it was it was 28-7 at the half, wasn't it? Yeah. And at this stage, Ravens were in cruise control. I think most people would have written the Dolphins off by that point because whatever your views are on Tua, we haven't really seen him, you know, drive many comebacks, you know, some heroic fourth quarter performances. We haven't seen that kind of stuff from him. But, I mean, what they pulled out of the bag against that Ravens team. Now, you know, there's caveats, there's caveats. The secondary of the Ravens, you know, was banged up. There were players who were out. But, I mean, what a second half from the Dolphins there. Incredible game. I don't think Dolphins fans should get ahead of themselves, and I don't think they will. It's one game against a banged-up Ravens secondary. They came back well. Does it change your view of Tua, Charles? Does it make you think differently about him now? No. I, I, and again, this might be quite harsh, but I don't think this victory is born out of Tua's skill necessarily. For me, it was two things, one of which you've already touched on, that Ravens secondary being properly banged up. And then to the fact that you have Hill on this team now, he was torching that poor cornerback that he kept lining up against. And we're talking blown coverage here to the point where all Tua had to do was not overthrow or underthrow. So, you know, he was proficient enough in getting the passes to Hill. But, and you know, Waddle, and Waddle. Uh, Waddle was Don't forget Waddle as well. well. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, <sighs> this is what Hill brings to the team that, that we didn't have last season that Tua didn't have access to, but we're still talking about a lot of the work that the wide receivers have done there. And Tua just needs to deliver to against a banged up secondary. I don't think you're going to see this week in week out. Yeah. There's a few things to touch on there and just to kind of delve a little bit deeper. I think that you've got to keep mentioning Waddle in that mix there between Hill and Waddle. They had 32 of the 50 targets on Sunday and between those two players, they were responsible for 361 of Tua's 469 pass yards. I mean, massive numbers. Both of them were nearly up to 200 yards each. The way that the Ravens were banged up with Hamilton, the rookie safety, you know, the growing pains that he's got two games in, he'll be a good player most likely, but you can't expect him to be dealing with someone like Hill 
and only a second start. Peters and Humphrey cornerbacks both dealing with injury. It was just set up really for Hill to just have a blowout day. And that's what he did there. Now, I agree with you. It's not going to be like that every week. I think the Tua needs to show that more consistently because, you know, he has shown in the odd game that he's got performances like this in him. Yeah. But they've been few and far between. Do you think it changes the outlook on the Dolphins? We're talking about Tua and focusing on Tua. And rightly or wrongly, the quarterbacks get too much focus. Will this change the Dolphins' outlook for the season? They're in, you know, they're in a division with the Bills who just look imperious right now. But playoffs? Could playoffs be on the cards for them? I'm not sure yet. I mean, when you look at Hill in that game against the Patriots, he wasn't lighting it up in the same way that he was this time around. I think the Bills is going to be a very telling challenge for them. I don't expect they'll be able to play against the Bills the same way they played here because defensively the Bills still look very, very solid. I think what the introduction of Hill does allow is it does allow for those big plays and we know that Tua can occasionally make those. So it gives him a little bit more opportunity when they fall behind to kind of claw that back quickly. Uh, But I'm still not totally convinced that that's enough to get this Dolphins team to the playoffs. Yeah, I think this Bills game, it's Bills this weekend, I think, isn't it? Yeah. This Bills game will be very telling. If you're going to make the most of a play like Hill, you want him to get vertical, you want him to get downfield, and for him to get downfield as fast as he is, you need to have a bit of time in the pocket. The way that the Bills have been playing, they're not going to give Tua any time in the pocket. They're going to be forcing mistakes. They're going to be on his back through that whole game. They're going to have to change the type of play calling that they're doing out there. It, it won't be vertical. It'll be more slant. We'll be getting the ball out of his hand quickly. There won't be that chunk play uh, type of game that we saw against the Ravens. Look, give him the benefit of a doubt here. Maybe this team is better than we think, but it's going to be very telling on Sunday. Yeah. So Jets versus Browns, bit of a weird one. For me, the Jets have become almost the new Browns now, where I used to root for the Browns before the whole Watson debacle. Now the Jets, I'm like, come on, Jets, you can get a win on the board. And it was nice for them to get that win against the Browns. And just if listeners haven't kind of picked up on this already, we're focusing on the comeback games this week. Once again, a great slate of games, 16 games across the league, and we could probably talk about 14 of them in detail. But we're focusing on the comeback games this week. Jazz, I agree with you on the Jets. Because they've been so bad for so long, you kind of want them to have a win now and again just to keep the fans interested. And you know, New York's a big market. It's good for it's good for the league when New York teams do well. It gets a lot of interest out there. I, I'm sure some people have seen some of the photos on social media of what the Brown fans dragged in a tourney to the game. Uh, it doesn't particularly endear you to them at all. But look, uh, incredible end to the game. I don't know if you were aware, Jazz. The Browns were the first team to blow a 13-point lead in the last two minutes of a game since 2001. And that was the Browns again. Uh, That was 2,229 games ago. Oh, wow. It's really not a record you want to hang on to or even surpass, is it? But there we go. Talking about that loss then, Joe, how costly and I suppose how much blame do you potentially put on Chubb getting that late touchdown? One thing which I was going to bring up as a theme through the games we're talking about here is when a team is leading and they lose, pundits fans often look at the losing quarterback as being the kind of reason for that team to lose. If you're winning a game, the game should be managed basically by your running back room. 
They should be holding the ball, controlling the ball, controlling the clock, controlling the game, keeping that W with your team. So when a team loses like that, it's coaching and running backs. And yeah, Chubb, Chubb had a bit of a stinker there. Yeah, I mean, he's even come out in the press and admitted himself he he places that blame on his own shoulders. We we've seen it, you know, before in seasons past. I think with Gurley, you know, when he was told to go down just before the line, he crawled over. I, the blood gets to your head, and I suppose as a running back, you're conditioned to punch it through and find the dirt. But uh, yeah, it's a slip up. You have to be smart. Yeah, babe. yeah, you have to be smart. Running back is a position where you do have to think a lot. It's not just running through holes. It's blocking. It's being game aware. And he just wasn't game aware there. So that's kind of the negative side of the Browns. What did you see from the Jets this game that you really liked? I wouldn't say... I don't want to be harsh. I'm not going to say there's things that I really liked. It was it was nice to see them stay in a game and stay competitive and carry that through to the final quarter. We've seen the Jets have a good quarter here and there or, you know, stay within touch for the first half, but very rarely through four quarters of play. The biggest positive that I would take from the Jets, not just in this game, but in the first game as well, uh, Source Gardner. I mean, they have got a player there. And when we've talked about a lot of the games over the first two weeks and we've talked about how teams have had success, a lot of it has been just plays busting wide open, coverage being blown, and wide receivers just having their ways with a secondary. It's getting so much more important, the way the game's being played right now, to have a lockdown corner. It, it, it's always been important, but I think we're seeing more and more now just wide receivers taking advantage of the rules and taking advantage of just the growing athleticism in the game to just destroy secondaries. If you've got a cornerback who can go toe-to-toe with the opposing team's stud wide receiver, or even better, two cornerbacks, it's going to put you in an extremely strong position. And I think that the Jets have an absolute gem with Source Gardner. I think it's a really good point that you made there about their kind of tenacity and and not giving up. Because I think that is one thing that has been quite well ingrained in this Jets team. I mean, they've taken their beatings over the seasons. But the one thing that I always seem to get the impression from the Jets is they never seem to give up. They're always in there. And there's quite a few times on this podcast where we found ourselves talking about an incredible Jets comeback or or a Jets shock. They're a team that don't let their heads dip, even though maybe the expectation is that they're going to lose the majority of their games. And I think for a team that is looking to turn that corner, you kind of need that belief in the players there if you ever want to take that next step. Yeah, but look, look, this team reminds me a little bit, only a little bit, of the last time the Jets went to playoffs back in, what, 2009, 10, around that kind of time, where there weren't necessarily stud players across the team. There, There really weren't, but you had... That cornerback, and that cornerback back then was Darrell Revis, Revis Island. And that's where they built the team off. And they had that kind of attitude you're talking about. There's a little bit of that here. You know, Robert Sala's going to build a team that, you know, has that mentality. That's the kind of coach he is. But yeah, look, good for the Jets. Uh, let's let's hope they kick on a little bit from it. They're in a very tough place. Buffalo got to play them twice a year. Dolphins, like we've just seen, they can score points and don't sleep on their defense either. So, divisionally, it's going to be tough. But um, 
yeah, it's nice to see progress. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it looks like that kind of route to playoff is going to be exceptionally difficult, it will be nice to see that they're a challenge to a few more teams this season, hopefully. I don't think the goal is playoffs. Of course, the goal is playoffs. The goal is Super Bowl for every single team. But I think that if you were to ask us right now what success is for this Jets team, finishing up with more than four wins if they can get six wins seven wins and you can say yeah they've definitely come along from from being the kind of you know basement team they have been for the last couple of seasons well talking of basement teams then I, I don't want to throw shade at the Raiders but they're not looking strong at the moment Joe are they so why don't we talk briefly about that Cardinals Raiders game well they were looking relatively strong for the first half it's it, it was just such a weird game this is another one the Raiders should have game managed so much different to how they did. You're 20 nil up at half time. Everyone wants to blame Carr because people like to blame Carr for this kind of thing. But you've got to look at that running back room. You've got to look at possession receivers. You've got to look at the type, the types of play that are being called. You shouldn't give the Cardinals the ability to get back in a game like this. But they did. They did. And uh, like I mean, Raiders gonna raid is such a Raiders thing to do after what we've seen for, for the last few seasons for them to blow a 20 nil half-time leave yeah it definitely is and as you mentioned it felt very much a game of two halves what is going on with Murray at the moment because it very much looks like he's struggling in the passing game we know that he's this dual threat character and he can scramble but he is not finding targets yeah and there's there's a lot of stuff if you look on social media in I'm gonna say in fans who are divisional rivals of the Cardinals, let's put it that way, who claim that Murray's perhaps the most overrated quarterback in the league. And I think that's a little bit extreme, but the way that the Cardinals want to play football with that air raid offence and the players and wide receivers they've brought into that team to support Murray, the passing game should be better than this. They don't have a bad O-line. No wrong, it's not the best O-line. They don't have a bad O-line. It's better than a lot of other teams you should be able to generate more than 53 yards of passing like they did in the first half of that game. Now, Murray can pull heroics out of the bag now and again. If you recall, I think it was, was it, was it last season when he did that Hail Mary pass in the last seconds of a game? He pulls stuff out of the bag like that highlight reel stuff now and again. But we haven't seen him consistently through a season play like that. And I'm saying through a season. I'm not saying all 17 games because very few quarterbacks play consistently well for 17 games but being on that kind of form for over half a game for three quarters of a game we haven't seen that for one season yet of Kyler Murray and until he does that if he can do that I don't think he should be considered in you know the top or second tier of quarterbacks yeah and I think it puts a lot of pressure on the Cardinals kind of coaching backroom to decide how they adapt to this what they change in the team to help Murray out more because something does have to change because if if they're just banking on things switching of, of their own accord it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon so it'll be interesting to kind of see what they adapt to try and get that air raid going again a lot of it is decision making and you know when you're playing this air raid offense style you have to go through your progressions go through your reads you've got you know up to five wide receivers running routes out there you've got to read that coverage and surely one of those five wide receivers unless the opposing defense is playing nickel or 
even playing dime. Unless they're doing that, one of those guys should get open on the type of plays that you're playing. I think it is telling that they put this homework clause in. Now, I know that got taken out and that's kind of blown over now and pe people are kind of moving on from that. But read into that. Read into that because it's not a standard clause, but they felt it was necessary to put that in there. The problem with Kyler Murray isn't his athleticism. It's not his arm. It's not his ability when he gets it right. I think it is a mental thing. And with how long he's been in the league now, it's fourth season, that should have already been addressed. Very interesting. Back to school for Murray then. <laughs> Back to homework. <laughs> Ugh, just the thought of it. Uh, right, let's talk about another quarterback then who, oh my God, Trey Lance, that looked like a very brutal injury. He's done for the season now. Uh, nasty one, nasty one. Yeah, really, really was. A lot of pressure on that twisted leg, looked grim. We were talking a couple of weeks back on the podcast about the Garoppolo situation and what the plans were there. We couldn't quite figure out what the move was by San Francisco. Right now, they're looking very justified, but you shouldn't be gambling on your star quarterback breaking his ankle. So what do you think of this, Joe? I mean, does it prove that they were right all along or do you think there's some underlying things at work here that leave you uneasy? Very interesting question, Charles. You're right. If you look at it very superficially... It looks like they've indicated. So their quarterback's gone down. Here we go. We were right to keep Jimmy G. Look at us. Aren't we clever? But as you said, you can't keep a starting quarterback on the bench just on the off chance that your bona fide starter goes down for the season. That's not how you build teams. That's not how you build a Super Bowl squad. You have to just, you have to ride on a wing and a prayer a little bit that you've got to starting quarterback who's going to stay healthy and if you do need to have that backup they'll just be capable of getting you through games that's how you build rosters now like i said superficially it looks like they've got it right but let's look at the outcomes that could happen with this so if jimmy g goes out there and you know blows the doors off plays amazing then what does that say about them charles what does that say about the decisions that they've made in the last two years to get where they're at yeah, I mean, it, it puts them in what I would imagine would be a very awkward situation because if he goes and plays lights out, then you're thinking, well, do you want him back in the fold? But then you've already mortgaged the farm to get Trey Lance. So you're in this terrible situation, which seems nuts to suggest that your backup quarterback playing well puts you in a, a weird, difficult situation. Yeah, I mean, even if he plays badly... Then it's like, well, why didn't you trade him when his draft capital was up? Because if he plays badly now, then he'll leave at the end of the year, get picked up by any team that wants him, but they won't get much room at all. So the only outcome for this, where I feel that the front office looks looks like they vaguely know what they were doing, is if he plays mediocre. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds ludicrous, but if Jimmy G goes out there now and strings together five, six wins... You just mortgage. You've literally mortgaged a whole farm on Trey Lance, and he's sitting there with a snapped ankle, probably with all due respect to him, and not deserving to get on the field because Jimmy G is playing so well. It's just a not good situation, and superficially looks good, but when you really think about it, I wouldn't want to be the front office with this situation right now. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I 
I think that is the thing. I think a lot of San Francisco fans are, are going to turn around looking pretty smug right now going, oh, look, we made the right decision. And I think a lot of people that were originally quizzical about it are maybe taking a step back and going, oh, okay, it's all worked out. But I think I think you're right to take a little bit of a deeper look here and say, actually, this isn't all rosy because it leaves the front office in a, in a really weird position. Yeah. So... For their sake, let's hope he plays mediocre. But um, <laughs> he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good after he came on. Yeah, you know? very capable. Didn't do very capable. Live him to a solid win. Controlled the game well, like I guess Jimmy G does. Absolutely. Talking about the surprise loss of Lance, then I just wanted to throw a few teams at you, Joe. Who certainly, from my point of view, I've been surprised in their performance so far over two weeks, and I want to get your spin on whether you've been equally as surprised or whether it's what you expected from them and whether you expect this performance to continue. So the first one I, I wanted to bring up was the Bengals. Uh, we spoke about them last week. Uh, again, this week, they had a tremendous amount of trouble stopping opposing defenses getting to Burrow. Surprised to see them in this position, Joe? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I am, Charles. A surprise, but then should I be surprised? So basically, they have done a lot of work in the offseason to rebuild their offensive line. We picked on the Bengals' offensive line a fair amount in previous pods that we've done. Basically, the only starter who's a carryover from last year is left tackle Jonah Williams. New left guard, new center, new right guard, new right tackle. You've got four new guys playing with each other. And it's not working. It's just really not working now. Now, they've, they went and rebuilt that offensive line because last season they gave up 51 sacks on Burrow which was the most in the league and then let's not forget the season before that Burrow's rookie year was cut short because the line allowed him to get sacked and break his leg so 51 sacks last year if you prorate kind of the pace they're going at now I think they'll end up with something like 111 that's how bad this offensive line has played through the first two games of the season yes yes we all know there's a little bit of Burrow miss as well for holding on to the ball and you can't always put the blame squarely on the offensive line but you can put a lot of it right on their plate now will they get better i think they can only get better they targeted players they got who they wanted to get you know they've brought in some players like leo collins at right tackle ted Karras at center there's decent players there and i think when it clicks when they gel together a bit more they just have to get better because i don't think they're going to really get worse so yeah that's the root of the bengals problems it's pretty obvious They'll get better. They're not going to be an own four team. I'll put my neck on the line. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a sensible take. I mean, the surprise for me came from the fact that I thought they had strengthened that line in the off season. Yeah, and this is where coaching has not been where it should be because the, the coaching staff should have got them in a position to be ready for the season and they're clearly not ready for the season. Now, whether that's because they've not played together enough in preseason, whether they just haven't taken to the coaching that they're under now in the new regime that they're playing under now. Who knows? But it's 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 not clicked yet, but it has to at some point. Yeah. So another team that I want to throw out there, Joe, is a team that is also performing quite badly at the moment. They're probably a team not like the Bengals where expectations were massively high, but I still think the Colts are performing a lot worse than I expected them to. Do you hold the same opinion or is this where you thought they would Chaz, be? That's an understatement. Uh, it, 
it always seems to be with the Colts a little bit where they're looking for that looking for that missing piece. And that missing piece is always quarterback. And that's been the narrative we've seen for the last few seasons. They've got that defense led by Darius Leonard. They've got one of the best O-lines with Quentin Nelson in there. They've got the skill players with Jonathan Taylor with a pretty decent wide receiver room. We've got all these bits. So Matt Ryan was supposed to be an upgrade on Carson Wentz. And they were supposed to be challenging in, in, in what isn't a particularly strong AFC South. But they lost 24-zip to the Jags. To the Jags. How do you not score and on the Jags, Joe? How do you give up 24 points to the Jags? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, <laughs> like, yeah, we thought the Jags were going to get better under Peterson compared to um, Old Urban. But, I mean, this Jags team still shouldn't be beating anyone 24-zip. Very, very concerning if you're a Colts fan. And look, the Colts are now 0-2. A few stats to throw out your way, Charles. There's been 400 teams that have started the season 0-2 up to last season since the merger. Only 38 of those teams have made playoffs. That's less than 10% of teams make playoffs if you start 0-2. And in fact, not a single team has made playoffs starting 0-2 since 2018. You're really up against it if you start 0-2 and... I wouldn't write the Bengals off because, I mean, they were a Super Bowl caliber team last season. So you'd think there's a quality in there for them to come good. But I think it's a long road for the Colts, despite them playing in a relatively weaker division. Yeah, I think that's fair because I think with the Bengals, you know, we've identified it's that O-line that's not clicking. It's not that the talent isn't there necessarily. It's just that needs time to bed in. I think with the Colts, just watching them play, I know we've identified the quarterback being being that missing piece for them, but they look completely headless on both offensively yeah. and defensively. And again, they've got the talent, they've got the names in that team, but there seems to be no direction or game plan when you're watching them either attack or defend. I think that this, this could be very sticky for Frank Reich pretty soon. There's a few coaches who I think already are looking shaky. Uh, Mike McCarthy throwing it out there. Maybe not all his fault with his quarterback going down, but there's a few coaches, but you've got to have Frank Reich on that hot seat of someone who may not make the midway point of the season if things continue how they are. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so not to dwell on the negative, Joe, there is a team in here who I've been really pleasantly surprised by, and that's the Giants, another New York team who are uh, who are improving their situation. What do you think about that? Do you see this as something that can continue or do you think that they've just sort of done well in the two games they've played so far? No, I think you have to respect what the Giants have done. People who've listened to the podcast for a while will, will know that for the last kind of few seasons, the Giants have struck me as a team who I think should be doing better than what they've been doing. I feel that they have the talent. It's mainly been the O-line that's been letting them down. They haven't managed to click there. But across that team, you look in all position groups except the O-line and there's players who can play there. What seems to be coming together this season is they're playing with a different attitude. The coaching seems to have improved. The way that they went for the two points in week one just shows a confidence there. Players who have been inconsistent over the last couple of years uh, through either performance or injury are playing more consistently. I'm looking at Barkley. Barkley's been injured, been hurt a lot the last couple of years. He's been extremely strong the first two games. Then Daniel Jones. I mean, Daniel Jones... Don't forget, was picked, what, was it sixth when he was drafted? They had high hopes for him. He's an athletic quarterback who 
given the chance, I think has a lot of skill. And it's always been there in flashes, and it's just flashing a little bit more. Now, I'm, I'm not saying he's playing lights out or consistent week in, week out, but he's flashing more than he's been previously flashing. I think that's making a big difference. Nice. And then, Joe, final surprise of the podcast. I know that you've just got back from Beantown, lovely place over there in Boston. You're doing tremendously well. <laughs> no one calls it Beantown in Boston. No one calls it Beantown yeah, in but Boston. Guess, That's such a tourist thing what? to say, Charles. I ain't in Boston, am I? <laughs> I'm sat here at home <laughs> in sunny old England. So yeah. why don't you... Um, I know you wanted to talk about beer prices. Well, look, we know that some of the listeners like to go out to the US to watch sports. It's a great experience, totally different to the games that we see over here. Not to knock them at all. I go to them every single year, but it's definitely a different experience out there. Just be prepared, though, because inflation and the weakness of the pound right now are killers for UK sports fans going to the US. I watched the Patriots-Steelers game in a sports bar in Boston on Sunday. And it was $15 a beer. And... That's not a unique thing. It's it's pretty uniform across the city. Boston's more expensive than you know certain cities and regions in the south, but it's a bad time to be a UK sports fan going to the US, and that's just something for a lot of people to kind of bear in mind. It's 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 not a cheap trip by any means anymore. Yeah, and I think you've got a lot of fans who couldn't score tickets to the games they wanted here in London. So instead, they're they're thinking about saving up and going and seeing their team play across just something to bear in mind you might need to save up a little more than you anticipated if you're uh, if you're looking to have a really good time while you're out there yeah and the pounds lost you know uh, this is a sports show not a financial podcast so let's not get too deep i mean a pound has lost uh, about a fifth of its value against the dollar in the last in the last six months or so so everything's 20 percent more expensive than it was a couple of months ago before you even start bringing the inflation into things so you know, those beers, those chicken wings, it, it adds up pretty quick. So just something to bear in mind if you were planning a trip out there. So what you're trying to tell me is the pound is essentially Matt Ryan. <laughs> the pound is essentially Trey Lance right now. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, I think we'll leave it there, Joe. It's been another great fun week of NFL, and I look forward to chatting next week about some more. I look forward to it, Charles. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>